0: Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the biggest and oldest Ukrainian media NGOs. Uh, We continue our conversations about Ukrainian culture. We try to talk about Ukrainian cultural heritage and cultural modernity even now during the war, because it is very important to stress how rich and interesting Ukrainian culture is. This series, uh, we are making this series with support of EU delegation to Ukraine. And I'm very glad to introduce uh, Volodymyr Shreyko, who is Director General of Ukrainian Institute, the key Uh, Ukrainian institution which is dealing with cultural diplomacy. Hello, Volodya. Hello, Volodya. Thank you so much for being with me here. So Ukrainian Institute is an institution that uh, tries to spread the word about Ukrainian culture globally to Europe and worldwide. And it is trying to fight a certain void, certain emptiness that uh, there uh, there is in Europe, in Western Europe and still continues to be, unfortunately. I remember, for example, visiting one French bookstore uh, of, I think was Sciences Po, the leading French university, and then the only book about Ukraine in French at this bookstore was a book of Timothy, by Timothy Snyder, a great American historian, the French translation, but you would not find books by Ukrainian authors, for example. Do you have this feeling right now? Well, this
1: void, um, particularly in the aftermath of the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February this year, um, I think has been enormous. Ukraine has been slowly and steadily making its way to mental maps of people around the world, particularly people in Europe, um, in the aftermath of the revolution of dignity in 2014. So uh, there has been quite a lot of progress in that respect. But all of a sudden, in February, the world has suddenly discovered this biggest European country right in the center of Europe that they know very little about. And ironically, the overwhelming support for Ukraine and solidarity with Ukraine that we keep seeing from all over the world goes hand by hand with very little knowledge of what Ukraine actually is and what Ukrainian culture actually is.
0: So uh, the phrase of Chamberlain, the f- famous phrase of Chamberlain, far remote country of which we know little, uh, was a- applied at that time. We remember at thirty-eight to Czechoslovakia. Can be applied right now to Ukraine as well. I think it definitely can be applied, but um, I
1: think the the support for Ukraine of course, is today much bigger than it was in the 1960s uh, for for Czechoslovakia. Uh, because, you know, over the past 30 years, and particularly after the introduction of the visa-free um, travel uh, regime between Ukraine and the EU, uh, you know, a lot of people have discovered indeed Ukraine, have visited, have had connections with, with Ukrainians. Um, they have friends here, they have business connections. So Ukraine... Isn't an entirely kind of a blind spot on the map of Europe, but still we feel uh, the, the the underlying lack of fundamental knowledge uh, about about Ukraine internationally, and there is indeed a, a big void uh, to fill uh, through cultural diplomacy. So the Ukrainian Institute has a massive um, um, objective, a massive task ahead of it. But you uh, you mentioned. A bookstore uh, with just one book about Ukraine. I have another example. Uh, quite recently I visited uh, Paris for work um, and I, as I was walking through, uh, through uh, Le Marais, I noticed um, a window shop of a bookstore that was filled just with books about Ukraine and about Russia. And it's quite a weird and funny selection of titles that range um, bet- from, from uh, culinary books about Ukraine to works by Anton Chekhov, to works about uh, Vladimir Putin, what's, what's in the head of Vladimir Putin, then translation, uh, translations of Ukrainian writer Andrei Kurkov or Sergei Zhadan, uh, who are pr- arguably the best-known uh, Ukrainian writers in the world, some works of Taras Shevchenko, uh, a play by Natalia Voroshbyt, Bad Roads, about the war in eastern Ukraine, um, and it's 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 a kaleidoscope that doesn't really make sense as a whole so it's a random selection of titles that the bookstore could find it, it's f- called bricolage the french bricolage. love it very much exactly no? <laughs> so it's it's just whatever they could find about russia or, or about ukraine that is published in french they just put it and into the into the window shop. but the
0: collection is not bad because jadan and kurkov is not bad Vorosh Be- Vorosh Beit, uh, it's it's great the book about what's the head in the head of Vladimir Putin I think it's written by my friend Michel Elchenino French philosopher Dans le tête de Vladimir Putin if I'm not mistaken but uh, I I agree with you that they probably have put everything they could because there is not so much there is something but there is not so much
1: that's that's exactly my point so uh, it's of course these books most of them at least uh, as as a, as a standalone, right pieces of literature are, aren't bad. Are some Some of them are excellent books, but they don't tell a coherent story of either Russia or Ukraine, uh, right? And uh, the, the 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 faux pas in this situation is that books about the, those two countries are just mixed and matched together in 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 one in one in one, in one bookstore which still is, for me, is a, is a sentiment, is an instinct to bring those two together, right? That the story of Ukraine is incomplete without a story about Russia and vice versa. So
0: it would be the same if, if for example, you would put Mein Kampf and uh, Hasidic Tales by Martin Buber just in the same bookstore next to, next to each other.
1: Well, and add some possibly, I don't know, random French or American
0: titles in the mix just for the looks of it. Do you feel the uh, the willingness uh, of our partners in the West, not only in the West, because sometimes we feel just incredible connections? Uh, for example, I will tell you another story. Uh, we have recently, I have recently received an email from an Australian who is living in Indonesia, and he found our book, Ukrainian Histories and Stories he found Andri Bonders essay about Ukraine's incompleteness this metaphor interesting metaphor and uh, and he wrote an essay about in Indonesia cu- culture with certain uh, you know elements from Andri Bondar's essay so it it means that there is a growing interest from these cultures, which are were also colonialized, etc. We see enorm, enormous interest from Taiwan, for example, or from Hong Kong. But speaking about Europe, about the centers of this culture, about France, for example, Germany, do you see this uh, willingness, okay, we should, we should uh, fill this white uh, as much as possible right now? There is an increasing
1: understanding, I think, among um, cultural professionals and also audiences across Europe, that any conversation ab- about Europe, about uh, about European project, is incomplete without Ukraine, particularly today. I've heard this from a um, from head of a festival in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. Um, I heard this from uh, quite a few people I met in Paris very recently, who are also heads of cultural institutions in, uh, based in France. Uh, people are slowly starting to realize that uh, there is this, indeed, a big void that has to be filled. But, having said that, they admit that they know very little about who to approach, who to work with, what are the key names, what are the key titles, what are the key um, milestones in in Ukraine's historical or cultural development. So, um, for us, the role of cultural diplomacy is to do exactly that, is to offer that you know storytelling to offer that advice to offer that expertise to help uh, very motivated international partners um, across across Europe and beyond Europe to get engaged with Ukraine meaningfully and not curate a random selection of books like the the bookstore in in Lomare
0: I think that uh, the attitude to Russia in the in the past centuries was that okay we should feel Europe and Europe will, will not be complete without Russia and that led to a situation when uh, uh, the Russian narrative about itself didn't, was not taken critically, because it was taking OK, this is an alternative to Europe. Russia is an alternative to Europe. Therefore, if we are looking for an alternative to European uh, major narratives, we should seek uh, like Russian narratives. And that was a trap, that was a mistake. Uh, I think one of the messages right now should be that, look, Uh, we should look at at Russian narratives also as an imperialist narratives, and we should look alternative not only to the Western or European imperialist narratives, which are, of course, present throughout centuries, but also to the Russian imperialist narratives. Do you think that this message can be heard in in France, in Germany, in Britain?
1: It is a difficult message to get across, uh, because, like you said, uh, Russian culture hasn't been perceived or interpreted critically through a decolonial perspective or uh, through you know the toxic narratives um, that were have been propagated through through Russian culture both classic culture and contemporary culture and indeed there is no consensus in the international academia about Know, how to approach Russia with a decolonial um, instruments set of instruments. I think we should absolutely stress on this. We should absolutely promote uh, this this uh, optics and this uh, interpretation of, of Russian cultural heritage, but also the contemporary culture as well.
0: Coming back to Ukraine, uh, when you you you're facing this task of filling this void, you're obviously addressed with the question, okay, but why Ukraine is interesting, why Ukrainian culture is interesting? Do you have some typical answers to this question? Um, well, in,
1: in today's circumstances, I think Ukrainian culture is particularly interesting to many, many people abroad, because it can offer answers to questions that are otherwise cannot be answered by traditional media, for example, by diplomatic statements, by uh, political analysts. So there is this huge scope of knowledge uh, about Ukraine that can only be transmitted through culture, through documentary films, through literature, through uh, you know contemporary visual art, through um, other artistic um, interventions, because those stories are genuine. And what we see and have experienced before, for example, you know, indeed the interest uh, for Ukrainian documentary uh, uh, cinema after 2014, because a lot of the, of those films were masterfully crafted they are great pieces of, of filmmaking uh, coming out of ukraine but they also they what they did they presented a very clear and visual picture of how the country lives of how the country looks of how the country deals with the trauma of of the war of the war invasion and temporary occupation of its territories of its displaced uh, populations but but also the lives of ordinary people that that, um, that exists kind of in, in, in outside of, 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 those, of those narratives. Similarly, today, for example, I, I see great potential in the so-called Theatre of the Dramaturgs that was established uh, by uh, two uh, leading Ukrainian uh, playwrights Natalia Voroshbyt and Maxim Kurochkin. Uh, this theatre was supposed to be opened in late February so they were just about to open this theater in Kyiv. Of course, that didn't happen. But there is a huge group of um, of uh, young emerging Ukrainian playwrights that have written some uh, uh, drama pieces about their experience of, of the Russian invasion. So it's very immediate. It's very like here and now. And we've seen a lot of interest from international theaters across Europe and in France in particular, who want to get those texts, who want to translate those texts stage read them or produce them because it will give a lot of answers to their audiences about what's going on here and why uh, we ended up in such a situation.
0: I think there is another aspect as well why Ukrainian culture is interesting in the in the not only now not only since 2014 but also previously because this is this is the place the, the, the territory where history is going on and the, the great culture always reflects about history. And, uh, you know, th- there are lots of metaphors about Ukraine. Ukraine is a borderland between civilizations. I, I don't really like it, but, but there is this metaphor. But I think we're increasingly in, in in a situation when Ukraine is an epicenter of history right now in a good and bad sense of the world because history is not a good thing actually history when when fukuyama was dreaming about the end of history actually he was dreaming about the eternal peace uh, and if if we read his essay right now written in the in the late 80s it, it is clear that he was dreaming about a a situation when there is no human tragedies because history is primarily about human tragedies Sometimes about the war, sometimes about the deaths, the suffering, etc. So maybe this is why Ukrainian documentary or drama is so interesting because they're not inventing anything. Here culture is not about invention. In many aspects it's, it's about just facing the reality always uh, very often with, with tragic uh, suffering reality. What do you think?
1: I remember what my uh, mother used to say uh, she was a, a playwright and a writer, and she would always say that great literature is born out of suffering and pain. And um, when I was a kid, I didn't really understand what she meant. But as I uh, started writing myself, or uh, or you know having all sorts of experiences in my life personally, I think she she was right. Um, not all literature or art has to be about suffering, but it is born out of borderline situations borderline experiences it is born out of uh, tragedies out of reflections it doesn't have to be pessimistic all all, all the time don't get me wrong uh, but i think this is something that makes ukrainian culture of the past of of this generation and probably of the of the couple of previous generations that it is indeed it was born out of various tumultuous pages in our in our in our history and that's what makes it
0: genuine and strong i would argue but at the same time humor ukrainians have a very particular sense of humor it's it's very often black humor we see right now how how humor is is also entering this this war how many memes do we have how many humor stories from soldiers and i think ukrainian ukrainian culture has always these two wings let's not forget that the literature in the vernacular language comes from the very humoristic piece uh, of, of Kotlarevsky. And then re- reinventing Ukrainian literature in the late 80s with Bubabu, Andruhovich, Neborak, uh, Irvanec was also made with humor. So it was kind of a opposition to that cult of suffering, which was in Ukrainian culture. And now I think we are, we are trying to reflect upon this cult of suffering as well, because... Well, it, it was not cult of suffering. It was kind of a reflection of, of the very difficult, uh, difficult history, full of suffering.
1: Sometimes humor is a product, is a byproduct of suffering and pain. It is being born out of it as a means of protection, as a means of um, yeah, of of of, of self protection against it. And que- a few days ago, um, I was in a discussion at Cannes Film Festival about. Um, about uh, the state of Ukrainian films today. And one audience member asked, how can I engage with the war in Ukraine if I can't even look at photographs from the front line? They are so traumatizing that I I just can't do it. It's beyond my capacity and my human ability to do so. But I want to be engaged. I want to know what's going on in Ukraine. I want to sympathize with you. I want to support you but this is just too much for me to handle. And I replied that humor can help here, because like you said, Ukrainian society, civil society, a lot of individuals have responded to the war with, with memes, with, with, with very funny stories, with um, stories that basically dehumanize the attacker, right, the, the invader. And I think that works really well because it, it does provide protection, it does provide psychological comfort, but it also helps to uh, people all over the world, you know, engage with Ukraine in a non-traumatic way, not being traumatized directly by the horrors of the war, but still it helps them, you know, be engaged, know something, get connected, uh, see the the, the the human and the, the positive sides of of. Um, of a daily life in a, in a war zone, right? Because we, we keep living our lives after all. It's not just about the war, it's Just it's not about death. There is a lot of optimism and a lot of solidarity, a lot of, um, you know, unification behind, be, be, behind this. And I think this is where humor can help and this is where f- humor can heal.
0: I also think that uh, when we look at Ukrainian culture, we touched upon this a little bit earlier, this realism. And I frankly as a philosopher I, I was always skeptic towards realism inside the Ukrainian culture as well, because for me it's very important to have this invention in culture, right? I was I was rather uh, taught in in French and German intellectual culture, lots of inventions. Ukrainian culture also have lots of inventions. Uh, uh, but I think that this this materiality of of many things that we we see around us, this connection to Earth in to land in the, in the deeper sense of the word. Let let's let's remember this remarkable film by Dovzhenko, which is called Earth, and also this... Uh, metaphor of of earth and and being maybe locality, very, very important topic of Ukrainian culture, locality, the connection to a specific place. What do you think?
1: I've been thinking a lot about this, uh, the importance of materiality uh, for, for Ukrainians, because throughout the 20th century, quite often material objects were the only proof of cultural continuity, uh, of connection to a, a specific place or city or house. And when I think about, you know, how Ukraine will reconstruct, how Ukraine will rebuild the cities in the east uh, of of Ukraine that were completely destroyed by the Russian army, I think it is essential to reconstruct our architectural legacy, our architectural heritage uh, of those cities, because that's possibly the strongest material link Ukraine and Ukrainian people have to those lands uh, and and that materiality, I think, is omnipresent in, uh, uh, in, in Ukrainian culture. In even my, I myself, uh, when I um, had to leave uh, my hometown of Kyiv in the first days of the invasion temporarily, I took a lot of material objects with me that are dear to me because I felt this is, this is an uh, inalienable part of my identity and if I lose that materiality, I would lose part of myself
0: and we have lots of ukrainians who are keeping their objects uh, uh a piece of clothes or a piece of uh furniture or a piece of something else the glasses the, the plates that were given them by their grandmothers and i think this is also one of the things because uh in the 20th century we can't say that we uh that there is a loss of material heritage which was which was uh, stored, which was preserved because of the wars, because of the destruction. Look at our cities, especially in the central Ukraine, or especially those to, which used to be, for example, the Jewish titles. We don't have much uh, in terms of architecture, in terms of this material presence. And I think this kind of a nostalgia for something material that is also very, very important uh, for Ukrainian culture. I, was, uh, I have the metaphor that all Ukrainian culture is a kind of archaeology know, it's a kind of a digging deep into the into the into the land. And by the way, this is also one of the metaphors of our literature recently. If you if if you take the metaphor of Oksana Zabushko Museum of uh, Abandoned Secrets, the key metaphor is about archaeology, It's about going going uh, uh, excavating your memory.
1: Well, I I think personally I am fascinated with this materiality of our in, uh, of our uh, identity. Um, Because what I observed in countries like the Netherlands, for example, or Spain, um, or other Central European, for example, um, countries, that the abundance of material heritage makes them care less, ironically, about that. When your resource is scarce, you value it more. And people, for example, in the Netherlands, you know, they don't really accumulate material objects or wealth. They can move quite easily from a house to house. And uh, the the collections of of something material they hold at home is very very small. And that doesn't endanger their uh, national identity or personal identity. Whereas I think for many people in Ukraine, materiality is the basis of that identity. Because the attempts, the continuous attempts of Russia, for example, to rewrite history, to destroy um, architectural heritage or material cultural objects throughout our history has led us to, this, to, the, to the situation where every piece matters. Every piece is a piece of our identity. And that's, that's why I think we keep this particular relationship to, to earth, to roots, to, uh, to objects.
0: Another thing which, uh, which interests me is a certain element of botanic culture in Ukraine. Uh, which we all uh, also try to rethink all the time. You know, it's it's in our embroidery shorts, it's in our emblems, it's in our songs. Uh, Oyoluzi Cervona Kalina. We, we are we are singing songs about flowers. We are singing songs about uh, about trees. And and my metaphor is that this is precisely because we don't have a developed stone culture. For example, the architecture, sculpture. Uh, which is present in Western Europe, we don't have it maybe because we don't have so much stone in our earth you know uh, and therefore uh, the 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 number of for example city fortresses which is typical for Western Europe is much much lesser here in in Ukraine and therefore Ukrainian popular culture was thinking of defend how you can defend yourself against the enemy with flowers, with trees, with with sinking your your villages into kind of a floristic um, floristic richness, but see also how you know um, the the architectural heritage
1: Ukraine uh, that that is still intact in Ukraine is largely um, uh, that 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 what is built on of stone uh, is largely um, churches sacred architecture. So very very little civic architecture survived. Uh, up until today in Ukraine, because a lot of that was built of wood in in the medieval times and also
0: later on. 19th century Kyiv, in the mid-19th century, I think uh, there were only half, several dozens of buildings in stone and they were primarily the churches.
1: Yeah, exactly. But see how that um, sentiment for uh, for, uh, plants, for gardening, I think how that... Interestingly, how how accurately transitions now into works of Ukrainian contemporary visual artists like Aleftina Kahidze who um, when she speaks at um, I I don't know or presents herself at an international events she says I'm an artist and I am a gardener and those two roles I think equally important for her and that narrative pre of pre-modern times essentially right a sentiment for for uh, for something floristic for 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 plants now transitions into uh, narratives about ecology, about environment protection, about food security, about, you know, different ways this part of Ukrainian identity can manifest itself in contemporary art, but also can find connections, tangible connections to uh, to themes that, you know, um, are very relevant anywhere else in the world.
0: I think the topic of the garden is very important. Uh, Really, I, I, I would love, even even we have recently talked about, an idea to, to implant the idea of the garden to architecture, to make our maybe cultural institutions kind of gardens. And not only have this heritage with, uh, with the European tradition, let's not forget about the Epicurus garden, right? But also with Ukrainian tradition, let's not forget Skovorodá and his uh, Garden of the Divine Songs. Uh, so I think it's 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 really interesting. But coming back to this idea of floristics, and this is what we see in Ukrainian contemporary music, is an attempt to dig deeper into the popular culture. If you look at uh, major Ukrainian uh, bands right now, mus- musical bands, they all try to combine the traditional and the modern, traditional topics and the modern rhythms. Uh, some of them are win Eurovision contests, of course, but I have a maybe provocative idea is that this is also an attempt to come deeper than Christianity, to come to pre Christian uh, culture in the kind of uh, this cultural paganism, and this is. In Ukraine is a, is a big fight between different Christian confessions, primarily the Catholicism and Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy and in some ways, some of the elements of the Ukrainian culture is as if they were saying, okay, you guys fighting between each other, we, we go to Paganism, we go to pre-Christian <laughs> times. What do you think about it?
1: About this sentiment or about this wish to... About uh, this wish to, to go, to go as
0: deeper, as deeper into the past, into the tradition and search the tools for for new revolutionary content. My message uh, always, I'm saying this, uh, that Ukrainian culture is so interesting by combining tradition and modernity, that, for example, is maybe unthinkable in contemporary Germany, France, or whatever. Isn't it something
1: similar to what avant-garde art did at the beginning of the 20th century? Because it tried to reinvent the form of art and the ways of artistic expression, Um, based on foundations of, of, um, you know, prehistoric or very ancient, the so-called exotic civilizations that uh, were discovered by Europe uh, only in 19th century or at the beginning of the 20th century. So isn't that the same approach?
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. And uh, for example, when Malevich is discovering the elements of Ukrainian popular culture and tries to develop an abstract art out of it, he probably does the same as Modigliani was trying to do with African sculpture or Greek pre hellenist sculpture whatever
1: or where Picasso wrote um, Demoiselle d'Avignon based on you know his experience of of um, African um, ancient African uh, cultures and and forms and I think Ukraine probably is trying to do something uh, similar to that combining the most ancient w- artistic expression this land has had, right? With with a very modern contemporary uh, form fusing, therefore, um, a new identity, a new, I don't know, culture that is uh, unlike anything that neighboring countries uh, produce or even countries that are farther away.
0: Maybe my last question, you when you are asked when you are approached by by the foreign cultural institutions asking you okay but which type of art which are the cultural phenomena right now we should look at in Ukraine you mentioned documentary film you mentioned visual arts what else
1: i also mentioned uh, documentary theater or new drama that emerges right here and and right now um, I would also um, love someday to have uh, our literature of the 1920s and 1930s translated into major uh, global languages, because it's a completely unknown uh, over of, of Ukrainian culture that very much links us to uh, European uh, literary tradition, as well as uh, music, for example. Um, in, in, in when we built, for example, programs of concerts or advice Um, orchestras or philharmonies about how to present Ukrainian music today because the the passion is there, the the demand is is, is huge for that. We also try to find pieces that link Ukrainian uh, music traditions with the Baroque, for example, era uh, in 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 France or in Austria, when we speak about mid uh, mid 20th century, that's of course the rich modernist tradition that was omnipresent in and very developed in Poland, in 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 Germany, in in the United States. So uh, I would I would urge them and advise uh, our international partners to find those connections, to find something similar, and you will be surprised how many of those. Connections, meaningful connections, are there, and when you put together a program, a literary one, a music one, a, a, a cinematic one, that combines two cultures or more cultures, I think it makes uh, that cultural relations even richer, and that helps relate to be more empathic towards uh, towards uh, towards Ukraine in this in this in
0: this case. And there are so many things really to find, to, 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 to look for these combinations between Ukraine and France, between Ukraine and Germany, Ukraine and Austria, of course, but also between Ukraine and maybe some uh, colonies of the European empires. Very interesting. Thank you so much for this conversation. We had Volodymyr Shreyko, who is Director General of Ukrainian Institute, the key Ukrainian institution who is dealing with cultural diplomacy in Ukraine. This was an Explaining Ukraine podcast, a podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. Uh, this series about Ukrainian culture uh, is done with support of the EU delegation to Ukraine. Ukraine World is a product of Internews Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko, I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. Uh, follow us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you like. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com ukraineworld and stay with us and stand with Ukraine.